Microphone, pop, 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 check. Awesome. Clear audio, check. Diet Mountain Dew, check. Sage burning, check. Notebook, check. Powwow chair, check. All right, I think we are ready to rock and roll. Uh, Stongo, Legabaschi. My name is Tyler Randall. Welcome to this debut episode of Skoden Cinema to All My Relations. The purpose of the podcast is to celebrate and educate Native American cultural roles in pop culture. We're going to be talking mainly about films, but every once in a while I might throw in uh, an episode about a television a television episode, uh, maybe some music. We'll definitely talk, talk about that. Art, comics, uh, maybe even toys. Uh, basically what it meant to, to, for me as a kid growing up in the 80s what it meant to be an Indian and how much pop culture influenced my thinking on that. Uh, like I said, the goal is to bring awareness of some of those things that may have been forgotten about uh, or maybe have never even been heard about. And so I wanted to give those uh, gems a platform to be celebrated, uh, to be kind of criticized, you know, um, humorously, obviously, uh, and corrected if need be. So thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Uh, to this debut episode. Uh, looking ahead, most of the podcasts that we'll be doing from here on out will be really film reviews. And at the end of this, I'll tell you what film that we're going to be looking at first uh, next next month. But for today's episode, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about you know why I'm here and who I am. So just to kind of start out, my name is Tyler Randall. I am a Quarter Creek, uh, Muskogee Creek Indian. Uh, in the Ijo tribe in Kuita tribal town and uh, growing up uh, as a kid I always knew you know that I was I knew I was an Indian I knew I was Indian I knew that because that's what my parents told me <laughs> and that's what my grandparents told me and uh, I, I would hear these stories uh, about how amazing my, my great-grandparents were and I would hear these stories about all of the accomplishments that my grandmother uh, had made throughout her life and my great 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 grandmother and so I come from a long line of very strong Native American uh, you know role models but we had this picture uh, of my great grandfather whose name is Mitchell and in this picture it's an old black and white photograph and there's not very many of these pictures that we have but this one is is the epitome of you know when I think about who I am this is the picture that always comes to my mind and it's a picture of Mitchell. I'm not sure how old he was when he, this photo was taken, but he's wearing this Indian headdress, the, like a feathered headdress, and he has these you know leather gloves on that looks almost like um, you know like the big leather gloves that you see bird trainers have, where it's like these really thick you know leather gloves that kind of have the gauntlets that run down the, uh, the forearm there. And he's sort of standing in this kind of almost looks like a wooded area, and his kind of 
cocked back. He's kind of looking cockeyed at the camera a little bit. And he has this just look on his face, this slight smile on his face. And I was, even as a kid looking at that, that photograph, knowing that that was my great-grandfather, I can't even begin to tell you how that made me feel. I couldn't, I, I just, I felt so proud of that. And to this day, you know, when I get upset or when I, you know, uh, feel like I I'm, can't accomplish things or, you know, I get frustrated with things that, that are happening, I kind of think back to that picture and, and think, you know, like, remember where you came from. So that picture is very, very important to me. Um, and I would always ask my dad, like, tell me about Mitchell. Tell, tell me about him. You know, when I was a kid and my dad would tell me these stories about, you know, he spoke fluent Creek, you know, that, that English was his second language and that he was very quiet and that, you know, he didn't say a whole lot. But when he did talk, you knew what he was saying was important. And he talked about how, what a sense of humor he had. And, you know, he was very... It was was dead serious, but you would never knew if he was joking or whether he was was being serious. He kind of had that sense of humor, and his laugh. My dad always tell me, you know, how much what a memorable laugh he had, and I think that is one amazing characteristic in, in my family is is all of from my grandmother, my aunt, my dad. Uh, we ha- all have these amazing laughs, and it's you know I can still hear my grandma laughing. I he can still hear my aunt laughing even in a crowded room I can hear that laugh over anything else so it's a very distinct laugh and but I would ask my dad you know like you know he about these stories and about Mitchell and he would tell me that they'd go hunting on our land that we had land somewhere and I remember asking like my dad you know tell me about my land uh, are there animals on my land and you know my dad would say yeah there's there's animals and I would say are they my animals? Those animals belong to me. And he said, yeah, they're yours, you know? And, and so uh, growing up, you know, that, that's what it meant to me was to be Indian is I had land and that, you know, this was my grandfather and that, you know, it was just, like I said, so proud. And, and not only my, my great grandfather, my, my grandma, you know, Mitchell's daughter, uh, Okima, she, she was a famous war dancer and, She's a cultural preservationist. She was a trick horse rider. She was an amazing dancer. Uh, she was a, a war, like I said, a war dancer. She was a tap dancer. She was in the national. She was on the national council for the Creek Nation. So I, I just come from this really long line of very strong, positive role models. And so when I was growing up. That, that's what it meant to me to be an Indian is, is that I had to be strong. I had to be, you know, very uh, proud and, 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 and carry myself that way, you know. And I would go to school and, and the teachers would, would call, you know, call me that little dark-headed Indian boy or brown-eyed Indian boy. And, and, you know, so everybody knew that I was Indian. And, you know, some of my friends, my peers, they, they would kind of ask me, like, why are your legs so brown? You have brown legs. And, and the girls would ask me, you know, like, why are you so brown? You're brown. And, uh, and you know, this is back in the 80s. And I would tell them it's because I'm, I'm Indian. You know, I'm an Indian boy and, and, and things like that. But during all of this, you know, even though I knew I was Indian, I didn't really know what that meant. I wasn't sure. What, what did it mean being an Indian? 
I grew up in a non-traditional home. You know, we didn't go to a ton of powwows. We went to powwows, but not a lot. Uh, we didn't go to a lot of stomp dances when I was a kid. You know, I was kind of raised in the Baptist church. And when your grandparents aren't around, you know, where, where do you learn about your culture? You know, if they're not there to ask those questions, you know, about what it means to be Muskogee, what it means to be Cherokee, or what it means to be uh, Native American, where, where do you learn? Well, I learned, like a lot of kids during that time, probably, I learned by watching movies and TV, and I emulated what I saw growing up on the television screen. Uh, I can remember growing up about 2 o'clock that in the afternoon. That was the, the cartoon time, is kind of what we called it in our house. Before that, we weren't really even allowed to come back in the house at all. We were supposed to, we were expected to kind of go out and play, and then we would come in, get some something to eat for lunch then go back out and we weren't even really allowed back in the house until about two o'clock you know after my grandma's soap operas were over and I would go into the house and you know we'd flip on tv and be Looney Tunes or it'd be Three Stooges or Uncle Zeb or Sid and Marty Croft or just kind of some kid related shows but one of the shows that I can remember watching was the old Lone Ranger episodes from the 50s and here you have Jay Silverheels as Tonto, uh, the most trusted best friend of the Lone Ranger. And I, I can remember seeing Tonto and in, in, in that role and, you know, saying like, yeah, like that's it. You know, that's, you know, everything that I heard growing up is true. Like that's, that's who we are. You know what I mean? That, that's exactly what I'm supposed to be. That's, I'm supposed to act like that. So I would go home or go to school and, and I would kind of emulate Tonto. I would sort of speak like Tonto, especially to new kids who must have looked at me so weird that I'm, you know, this little <laughs> six or seven, eight year old boy, but I'm talking like Tonto, like my name is Tyler. Nice to meet you. Do you want to trade peanut butter jelly, you know, for a pudding cup, uh, things like that. And they must have just looked at me so weird at the time that they just didn't know. Or, Why do you talk like that? Because I'm Indian. I'm Indian. I'm supposed to talk like this. And so uh, that, that was kind of, you know, the very first introduction that I had of, you know, Native Americans uh, on TV. And in the 1981, uh, I was only six years old, but I still remember this, to, to be honest with you. Uh, there was a movie coming out called The Legend of the Lone Ranger. With his friend Tonto, the daring and resourceful mask rider of the plains led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. Nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. The Lone Ranger rides again. And so for the very first time, I got to see how the Lone Ranger met Tonto. And I got to see, you know, how Tonto nursed him back to health and how they together vowed revenge on the, the bad, I think Butch Cavendash or Cavendall, if my memory serves correctly. I honestly haven't seen this movie in probably 35 years. So I'm looking forward to, to a revisit, definitely.
But for as a kid growing up, not only was I seeing that for the first time, the origin story, it was in color. And Michael Horse played Tonto. And I was absolutely obsessed with with Tonto and the Lone Ranger. And that movie even had a toy line. In, in, back in the 80s, any movie that had come out that was slightly successful had a toy line. Legend of the Lone Ranger had a toy line. And I begged my mom that I had to have the Tonto. I had to have the Lone Ranger. I had to have, uh, believe it or not, they had uh, General George Custer was one of the figures. But I remember taking that painted horse and putting Tonto on that painted horse and riding that little you know, with my hand all over the living room couch, all over the windowsill because they were riding across the plains. And I mean, the legend of the Lone Ranger was just it for me. So, uh, the other film that I remember was just a few years later, uh, in 1983 or 84, I'll have to double check. Uh, it was, is a film, uh, from Canada called running brave. And it is the story of Olympic, long-distance runner Billy Mills. And here we go in the final lap for the gold medal in the 10,000 meter. And up front is Bill Mills. He's pressing Ron Clark, the world champion. Bill Mills in the United States, number 722, is leading Ron Clark. And in third place right now is Mahut Bakamuni of Tunis. A tremendous upset of Bill Mills can hang on. Bakamuni goes out ahead as Gamuti right now leading in the 10,000 meter. Ron Clark is third. Rather, Bill Mills is in third, Ron Clark is in second right now. This is the final lap for the 10,000 meter. The unheralded Mahout Gamuti of Tunis is putting on a tremendous sprint. He's out ahead of Ron Clark. Bill Mills, the United States, is in third place. This will certainly be the fastest 10,000 meter ever run by an American. Here's Mills, who seems to be boxed in. Suddenly, there's an opening, and here he comes. Here they come down the final lap. Can Ron Clark catch Gamuti? They're going through the field. He's coming up. He's passing Gamuti. Look at Bill. Look at Bill. Look at Bill. Coming on. Bill is coming on. Oh. Yeah. It might be Bill Mills. What a tremendous surprise here. Bill Mills in the United States wins the 10,000 meters. Bill Mills in the United States. A tremendous upset. Wins the 10,000 meter here. He's on from Kansas. I was so obsessed with this movie. It's probably mind-blowing at the time for even thinking about it now because it wasn't really a kid movie. It was just something that I happened to see on HBO or, or, or one of the movie channels that we had. And like I said, it tells this underdog story of, of Billy Mills coming from uh, a Sioux reservation and his family, his, his best friend, his brother is an alcoholic and just, you know, the odds were completely stacked against him and he, despite all of that, you know, he goes to college, he goes to Kansas and, you know, he meets this coach that really kind of challenges him and, and together they, you know, go to the Tokyo Olympics in 1964. And it was just an amazing story. And I seeing that, you know, like I said, I become obsessed with things. And so I became obsessed with Billy Mills and I became obsessed with running brave. Uh, I cut my hair. I had kind of curly longer curly hair and I wanted to cut it all off and I cut it into like a flat top because uh, Billy Mills had a flat top and I wanted to be a long distance runner and I would you know just go out and try to run as far as I could but you know for a kid growing up with asthma I could barely even you know <laughs> go out to the to the mailbox without getting a couple of puffs off my inhaler so like I said you know 
seeing those two movies were, was just had a very profound effect on me on, on what it meant to be a proud Native American. The other thing that I can remember growing up was was wrestling. My, my dad was a huge wrestling fan, uh, pro wrestling, and we would watch every Saturday night, we would watch uh, world-class championship wrestling out of Fort Worth, Texas on Channel 11. And then like once a month, I don't even know what channel it was on, they would show live from Madison Square Garden. And I would see guys like Chief J Strongbow who had this war bonnet and you know, when he'd get mad, he'd go on the war path. And I would see guys like Wahoo McDaniel, who is a Choctaw Indian from Oklahoma, and he wrestled in the NWA, and he was a five-time heavyweight champ, and he was with Dusty Rhodes. And I would see guys like, you know, the Briscoes. My, my grandpa would tell me about the Briscoes, Jack and Gerald Briscoe, who were, you know, these amateur wrestlers. Also, they were from OU, and they, they were a tag team. Uh, and the other person I can remember wrestling uh, growing up watching was this little midget wrestler named Little Beaver who was a Canadian wrestler. I don't really even know if he was Native American or not. But he had his, his head, like, sh his hair shaved into a mohawk, and uh, his sort of gimmick was that, he, you know, he'd like to take his moccasin off, and he would spank his opponents with it and run around the ring. And I just thought that was the most hilarious thing uh, growing up as a kid. But again, uh, being able to laugh at things like that um, was all part of our culture, uh, you know, understating humor and like I said, it was just, I mean, it, I related to those types of characters. And then G.I. Joe happened, and uh, I, there was a character, uh, Native American tracker. I don't know why, but we're all trackers uh, in the toy lines usually. But uh, this was a character named Charlie Iron Knife, but he went by the codename Spirit. Boy, what a great campsite. Yeah, here's more wood for the fire. Don't run! Here, let me wrap this around you. You okay? Lucky thing you were around, Spirit. Lucky thing you didn't run. Remember, running only makes the fire worse. If your clothes catch fire, wrap yourself in a rug or blanket. And roll on the ground to smother the flames. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Prior to that, entering college, you know, I'd gone to high school, and our high school mascot was the Redskins. And at the time, you know, I didn't quite get, even then, how that was supposed to be honoring us. You know, how, how am I not supposed to be offended by that? Despite my questions that I had, it didn't matter. They just kept saying, don't worry about it. You should not be offended. You should be proud. You know, we're honoring you. But in the movies that I was watching and in the cartoons and the TV shows and the books I was reading, Redskin was not a kind word. That, that was what they, the bad guys called us. That's what the cowboys called us. That's what John Wayne called us. It was, they were pale faces and we were Redskins. And, you know, that's kind of what, what, what it is what it was. It's what it was. So I never really understood, you know, why I was supposed to be proud of that. And it made me question a lot of things. And then I would go to sporting events. I would go to football games in high school. And I would be in the, the stands. And there'd be my peers dressed up in these headdresses and these fake tomahawks. And they were, you know, chanting this gobbledygook of just, you know, what they thought were war chants. And this, this completely, you know, asinine idea of what, what, what an Indian was. And... Even further than that was how 
looking across the opponent's side and you would see these signs, you know, like make, you know, the trail of tears didn't stop, won't stop here. And, you know, scalp the Indians and, you know, just really just almost barbaric things that, that, that I was coming from even the other side. But on our side here, here the fans and, and the kids, you know, dressed up and they're chanting these war cries and they're, you know, acting like savages basically because that's what they thought we were. We were no longer these brave, heroic, stoic, deep thinking individuals, um, wise, you know, kind people. We were just bloodthirsty savages. And I just, it, it really made me uncomfortable. It made me so uncomfortable, in fact, that I just decided to withdraw from almost all of that. And you can ask a lot of people that I even went to high school with. I almost went through like an identity crisis because I didn't know where I fit in or who I was supposed to be. There would be a month where I would wear nothing but like Wranglers and cowboy boots and cowboy hats. And the next month I might, you know, dress up like I wanted to be like a hip hop guy. I wanted to be like the Beastie Boys. I wanted to wear flannel shirts and baggy pants and, you know, Chuck Taylors. And I might be a punk rocker, you know, and talk about Black Flag and, you know, talk about the Misfits. And there'd be times where I would, you know, want to be like a prep. I would dress in slacks and suspenders and polo shirts. And, you know, I just I didn't know where I fit in uh, during that time. So entering into college really opened my world and got me back in touch with, uh, with my Native American side. Uh, you know, I had met a few artists, uh, you know, listening to, going to school with a few other guys. Uh, there's a guy named Sunrise, uh, Edgar, Heap of Birds. Uh, I got to hear speak. Uh, Curtis Benali, uh, Ryan Mackey. There was just a lot of guys that I had met in school at the time that sort of got me reacquainted not only with uh, with what being Native American is or meant, or, but more importantly, how that is represented in pop culture and how wrong I, I found out pretty quick how wrong I was uh, by, by watching some of those films. And so I always want to thank those guys for, for kind of t- turning me back on to, to, to reality, you know, so to speak, because I was kind of lost there for, for a little bit. So, you know, I had gone to film school, went to film school, uh, wanted to be a filmmaker. I, I thought I wanted to make, you know, low-budget horror films or low-budget action movies because those were some of our favorite things. Uh, and there was, a, there was some of my favorite things. And there was a guy I'd met there named Turner, and we had graduated co- uh, college, and we had kind of – he went off, went, his, went off and did his thing, and I went off and did my thing. And then we sort of reconnected, uh, you know, much later in life. I was about 30, almost. I was 30. And uh, uh, we were both about 30. And we started working out together and kind of got reacquainted. And, you know, we would talk about those old action movies that we we loved, you know, that, that we always talked about making. And, you know, we were just listening to these crazy 80s action movie soundtracks you know commando or uh, deadly prey or or uh, the conan the barbarian the amazing score of conan the barbarian and you know sword and sandal films and we would just talk about all that stuff while we were working out and then we kind of took it one step further and turner brought a tv into his garage and we would watch these you know 
funny, crazy action movies like Ninja Busters or, you know, Steven Seagal movies. And we would start, I would start doing little write-ups. We had made a Facebook page, a little fake Facebook page for our workout group. And I began doing something called Cinema of the Dojo. And I would, where I'd start reviewing these films on the Facebook page. But I learned pretty quick that most people are not probably interested in watching or reading, excuse me, a five-page written uh, uh, review of something like uh, Nam Angels, where the, like the the Harley or the, the Hell's Angels come over to Vietnam. You know, the motorcycle ride gang, the Hell's Angels come into Vietnam to rescue POWs. <laughs> I didn't really think that that no one was going to read a five-page article written about that movie. So my cousin suggested that this would be a great podcast. You, you should do this as a podcast. And so thus began uh, the idea, the seeds for, for, the, for, the, for this podcast. As far as Native American films are concerned, you know, like I said, uh, watching these crazy action movies that, that Turner and I loved, we came across a film, or I came across a film called Johnny Firecloud in 1975. Uh, it is a story of this Vietnam vet, Johnny Firecloud, he returns back to home to kind of want to live the rest of his life on the on the res, and things go south pretty quick when he discovers that his entire hometown, including the reservation, has been taken over by this really bigoted racist rancher, and thus begins like this revenge flick. But what kind of blew my mind about this movie was that how the roles were were flipped. It was no longer, you know, uh, Indian versus, you know, poacher or uh, Indians versus motorcycle gangs, uh, very specific bad guys. This was the Indians versus the establishment, the white establishment. It was the Estijati versus the Hutki, and the Hutkis were the bad guys. The white guys were the bad guys. So that just blew my mind, you know, that there, that this film out there was this movie out there like this and it was very gritty it was a very gritty film you know cheesy in a lot of parts but but at the end of the day it's gritty and so i had to know uh, are there other movies out that out there that are like this you know other than billy jack other than you know born losers uh you know are there other movies themed where it's basically the native americans versus the establishment and what i had discovered that there is a wealth of films out there that are just like this uh some made in the 70s some made in the 80s in the 90s and even up into the 2000s there, there's a, several films based on this idea of you know the plight of the native american so this began the podcast and like i said next week or next month excuse me we'll, we'll really kind of start talking a little bit more about the first movie so if you're playing at home and you want to uh, watch the movie next month, the very first movie that I'm going to be reviewing will be the one that started it all, The Legend of the Lone Ranger, 1981. I have this on Blu-ray, but I'm sure it's available on other media. I'm just, I know it's out on VHS because I remember renting it as a kid. Uh, it may be on YouTube, I don't know, but I will definitely uh, let you know. I'll do the research on that. 
And if you want to play along at home, watch that movie. Tune into the podcast because I'm probably going to spoil the crap out of it for you. Uh, hope that I didn't bore you today. I hope that you found this sort of interesting. I, I know that uh, it's probably not what you expected, but I just want to say maro for tuning in and listening. I, I hope that you know as we sort of hammer out more of these fine little details that the podcast comes together structurally a little bit better. I know there's some things I'll work on. I know there's uh, some things that uh, I need to improve on, and we'll definitely uh, get into all of that in, in the coming episodes. So for today, I just want to say maro, maro. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time on Skoden Cinema. Hey, 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 hey,